Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host. Jamil Hassan, I bring you the Crypto Corner, where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, executives, government officials, artists, you name it, in crypto and blockchain. And today, from Hong Kong, I have an amazing guest. His name is Charles Dosi. He is a managing director at Consensus of the APAC region in Hong Kong. Uh, Charles, welcome uh, today to the show. Very good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Honors all mine. Um, so to kick things off, uh, let's start with uh, my standard question is what is your background? And it is a logical background for what you do now. All right. So let's start with um, uh, with uh, with, uh, with the beginning. So I was born in France uh, after studying in, uh, in France and Canada. I moved to Asia because I was traveling during my studies in Asia and I found the, the region got so much energy. And I thought instead of starting my career in Paris, I should start my career somewhere else and I could always come back. Long story short, I, I started my career in China. Later on, I went to Chinese university to learn Chinese and eventually moved to Hong Kong to start um, a business uh, in uh, electronic uh, consumer goods. Later on, starting my own business uh, in LED lighting. Uh, selling that business, going to IPO with a company which acquired me, and uh, and kind of thinking of what I wanted to do next and how I could kind of uh, keep exploring and keep um, uh, remaining curious about things. And I decided to go in finance. Uh, I joined a startup with which I launched uh, the first robo-advisor in Asia out of uh, Tokyo and, and Hong Kong. So think of the wealthfront and, and betterment of the world back in 2015. So very exciting uh, time, the very early days of the fintech ecosystem in Hong Kong. And uh, during my stay in this startup, I was eventually invited by the Hong Kong government uh, to join them uh, as a head of fintech within one of the departments uh, called Invest Hong Kong and building a fintech practice over there, working very closely with the uh, Secretary of Finance and, and the regulators over there to shape and craft uh, the strategy and execute the strategy on, uh, on, 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 on shaping the Hong Kong fintech ecosystem. Uh, so I've been working very closely with a lot of stakeholders from the private and public sector. I was uh, the organizer of the Hong Kong Fintech Week, uh, which we grew from uh, 2,000 attendees to 10,000 attendees, and we made this event uh, a cross-border event. Uh, between Hong Kong and China. And in this context, uh, together with my team out of Hong Kong, London, and, and San Francisco, we, we help about 450 companies to set up their business in Hong Kong. And, um, and there was one vertical among the many verticals I was focusing on, which was blockchain. So I was um, thinking deep about this, uh, this ecosystem, which was still very early back in 2016, um, and, uh, and thinking, okay, what kind of companies, what kind of entrepreneurs do we want to uh, attract and eventually settle in Hong Kong to, to contribute to the, the fintech ecosystem in general. And in this context, I met with um, uh, Joe Lobin, uh, the founder of Consensus and the co-founder of Ethereum, 
uh, the largest smart contract blockchain in the world today, um, and uh, and eventually uh, joined the company to start their Hong Kong office. So I now um, lead the Hong Kong office for uh, for consensus. I'm also in charge of all the the business development activities in Asia. So that means teams in uh, in Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Australia, and Japan. And we are the the world leader in blockchain engineering. So we are not into trading, we are not speculators, we are really uh, uh, a large group of 700 uh, engineers, deep tech uh, engineers, uh, building protocols, building infrastructure for central banks, for uh, commercial banks, for uh, healthcare providers, for uh, decentralized finance uh, startups. And uh, I've been passionate about this topic uh, for many years and um, I'm, I'm very, uh, uh, grateful for uh, making it my uh, my full-time job today. Great. So I was going to ask you, what is consensus? You, you did tell me exactly what consensus is. And I know I went to a conference in 2017 and I met a lot of people there. Um, but consensus has gone um, through a, a change, right? In the last few years to be focused um, less on social impact, more on more on what have you seen the development uh, in your area? Sure. So Consensus is a, a six-year-old company. So we were created uh, really at the beginning of the of the Ethereum ecosystem, and and the company grew with uh, with the ecosystem itself. Uh, so the early days of Consensus was uh, was probably a more of a, a venture studio, uh, helping the protocol growing, uh, supporting entrepreneurs uh, with uh, ecosystem support, with uh, a kind of seed investment support. Uh, that's where companies such as MetaMask were born, Infura, and, and many others. And then we kind of grew with the ecosystem itself, and the ecosystem matured. The ecosystem kind of got more and more focused. Uh, so, so today we are uh, we are the world leader on the Ethereum engineering uh, in, in general. And we 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 have different groups within consensus. We have people working at the protocol level, so really the the, the Ethereum blockchain itself. Should it be deployed in a in a public manner or, or permission private network manner? Uh, we have people working on the application layers. Uh, so think of the teams at consensus such as uh, Codify or or many others. And we have services around uh, around this uh, this uh, three core components: base layer, middleware, and applications uh, such as um, uh, diligence uh, for all the security uh, security audits and, and security services in general for 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 the space as well as uh, professional services and, uh, and many others. So we really cover the full stack, uh, really with a strong focus on technology, a strong focus on innovation, and, and helping uh, partners uh, going from entrepreneurs, uh, decentralized startups, uh, NFT issuers, uh, up to uh, commercial banks and central banks. So here in Asia, we are working closely with uh, uh, a handful of, of central banks from Australia, Singapore, uh, Thailand, Hong Kong, uh, and Korea, uh, helping them to essentially reinvent money and helping them to, to put their uh, domestic currencies on, uh, on blockchain infrastructure. So that's, that's really, really a privilege and it's, um, it's fascinating to be able to craft the future of finance, helping societies to, to reinvent money, to help uh, uh, reinvent uh, the third generation of internet, as we call it, the Web3. Uh, which is really the internet of values, the internet of direct interactions between users, and, and, and leveraging the, the power of smart contracts and uh, and decentralized networks.
Excellent. Um, so you are in Hong Kong, and you just said you did say that you got involved in Invest HK, and I just want to get some clarity on what that was or is. Sure. So Invest Hong Kong is uh, essentially the promoting arm of uh, of the Hong Kong government. Uh, so it's uh, it's a team of about hundred plus people spread it over seven, thirty thousand, thirty cities uh, all over the world, and and uh, what I was doing at the time, and, and obviously the, the department is still uh, striving, uh, is really um, explaining and educating uh, global entrepreneurs about Asia, about Hong Kong, and how Hong Kong can contribute to their expansion of uh, of their business in Asia. So at the time we were focusing on, on three main markets, mainland China, explaining Hong Kong to, to mainland Chinese and explaining them how Hong Kong can be a kind of a launch pad for, for the global expansion, uh, spending a lot of time with uh, European uh, as well as American entrepreneurs in, uh, in FinTech uh, to get them educated about Asia FinTech in general and, and kind of uh, assisting them into building their operations uh, in Asia starting from Hong Kong. Great. So I want to get into the blockchain and crypto scene in Hong Kong, but I got to do a couple of things first. One um, is I got to mention that you wrote, you're an author of a book called Block Kong. So I want to ask you about your inspiration behind that. What's that about? What are the lessons people um, should and uh, take from that book and why they should read it? Absolutely. Thank you for that. So Block Kong uh, is essentially a word I kind of crafted myself. It's a mix, obviously, of blockchain and Hong Kong. And why did I write this book is working for almost three years with the Hong Kong government. I got to see how much uh, of action and how influential was the Hong Kong blockchain ecosystem. And, uh, and Hong Kong is a, is a very organic uh, fintech ecosystem. The government is there. And I was part of the government at the time, but it's very much a, a market-driven economy. Uh, so the government is, is very much into a laissez-faire kind of, of philosophy. Uh, therefore, the marketing and, and the branding of the city uh, is done organically, which is not always the most efficient way. But the reality is a large part of the global crypto elite uh, is from Hong Kong or has started in Hong Kong. Uh, because there is this uh, proximity with China, because there is this very liberal uh, economy and laissez-faire kind of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of economy. So it, uh, it allowed in the very early days, back in 2014, to start a, blo a blockchain ecosystem, obviously starting with Bitcoin, later on starting with uh, continuing with, uh, with Ethereum and, and some other blockchain. Uh, but that's, that was really a, a very liberal economy, which, which led uh, the, the blossoming of, uh, of these uh, blockchain, uh, blockchain innovators. And what I wanted to do in this book is essentially to cover 21, and it's obviously a lucky number for the people in blockchain, uh, 21 blockchain entrepreneurs to kind of map and, uh, and, and, and put into the, the spotlight uh, the great successes and, uh, and uh, the entrepreneur journeys uh, in the eco ecosystem of blockchain. And uh, for some time, I was thinking to, to speak about the, the technology itself, but eventually I realized I was more interested into the, the personal journey uh, of, this, uh, of these people. And, and if you go through the book, you, you meet uh, 21 people, which some of them used to be uh, a TV anchor at Bloomberg, uh, others were um, uh, high-profile uh, lawyers or, or regulators themselves, uh, entrepreneurs which have been doing really great and starting to think about philanthropy in a, in a new way. 
So 21 very, very interesting profile, and some of them are, are extremely influential in the global crypto, crypto scene. And the book came from a frustration, to be honest. When I was with the government, I had to comply with many rules. And at some point, because I was in charge um, uh, together with the team of the marketing uh, for, for the fintech ecosystem, I came with the idea to kind of post some blog posts uh, about these entrepreneurs' journeys. And um, it was complicated because as a government, we have to remain neutral. But this idea stayed in my in my mind, right? And when I left the government, uh, I told my boss, uh, I remember very well, uh, now that I'm not with the government anymore, can I write my book? And they told me, yes, you're free. And 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 the next day, I, I started to kind of put on paper uh, a first summary and thinking of all these, uh, these interviews. And you should read this book because it's uh, it's very diverse. There is people which are crypto investors. There is people which are dreamers. There is people which are uh, really uh, deep into the technology. And it's a fun and very light read. Uh, it's uh, it's happening. All the 21 interviews are happening in 21 different uh, locations in Hong Kong, and it's always happening around uh, a breakfast. So you get to uh, to enjoy and visit the city in a way, but also uh, get um, a few lines about uh, the. Uh, the delicacies uh, of the uh, Cantonese cuisine, uh, from dim sum to noodles and, and other things. And at the same time, you learn also about the, the amazing journeys of these, these entrepreneurs. As far as dim sum, have you been to um, mainland China? Have you gone to uh, Xi'an? Absolutely. I went there with the, where the army is, right? Yeah, the, the Terracotta Warriors, and they have awesome dim They have awesome dim sum there. So just checking. <laughs> um great so um i want to go into uh more important things in, in in hong kong like what's the socio economic political climate like two years ago i, I had a somebody reach out to me on wechat a uh, young lady it was back in november in 2019 and she said please save me and then he saw this news going on in, in you know uh in hong kong about china and and it was really confusing so I wanted to get your perspective on what that climate's like then and what it has like now and what's changed. Sure. Hong Kong, like like many, many places in the world, is is going through changes and some people got elections and the the, the new president will, will disrupt lives. Um in Hong Kong we have a, we have an history which is a very rich history. Uh we used to be a, a British colony. Uh, we got uh, independent again and back to, to China as a special administrative region uh, back in uh, 1997. And, uh, and it makes Hong Kong a very special place, a place where there is a mix of uh, influence from the West and from, uh, and from mainland China. We have our own, um, uh, our own legislations, we have our own currency. Uh, many things are, are, are very special to Hong Kong. But within this process uh, of, of getting back to Hong Kong uh, almost uh, 20 years ago now, um, it's, uh, it has been some changes. So there was some frictions uh, and some social unrest, I would say. Uh, later, it was followed by, by the COVID crisis, which has been, uh, I think, uh, an impact for, for all of us uh, all over the world. It's not the first crisis for Hong Kong. It's a special place because of this melting pot. Uh, between many different uh, communities. It's a very resilient uh, uh, community. Uh, it's a community which used to be between uh, between different uh, influences. Um, so I will not say the, the past years have been have been easy. 
but we, we in Hong Kong, whenever we got um, challenges, uh, stand up again ve very quickly. Uh, we've seen that with the social unrest we, we went through. Uh, we are seeing this with, uh, with, with the COVID here now. So Hong Kong keep reinventing itself. Hong Kong keep is an entrepreneurial spirit. Hong Kong is still uh, the third largest uh, financial center in the world with a vivid economy in general, uh, 7 million people here. Uh, and, uh, and we are benefiting from, from being uh, uh, still a bridge between Hong Kong and uh, between the world and, uh, and China. So regulations are changing here. Uh, presidents are changing uh, in in other in other parts of the world. So yes, we are uh, we are on the spotlight from time to time. But uh, honestly, it, it doesn't change uh, the spirit of the people, and that's what I wanted to cover also in a, uh, in the book. Despite the change of regulation in crypto, despite the sometimes social unrest we we went through, uh, people still believe it's a it's it's a great and, and very fertile soil. For for building businesses and and building careers and uh, and, uh, and I might be one example, uh, going to Hong Kong thinking I will stay for two years and and here I am uh, 15 years later, uh, still here because there is this energy and uh, uh, pe some people call Hong Kong the New York of Asia and um, uh, I cannot uh, I cannot agree more. So the climate has improved. Climate has improved. I think there is some concessions. Things are changing, uh, obviously, uh, but people kind of adapt to it. Um, uh, business is doing great here in Hong Kong, uh, despite uh, despite COVID. Uh, if we come back to crypto purely, we have some change in regulations, but these changes of regulations are, are happening in waves, but more or less they will all align eventually. Um, so some countries are more proactive now. Uh, some countries are more uh, contracting on crypto, but uh, eventually we still have like three companies listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which are dedicated to the crypto, uh, the crypto and blockchain business. Uh, we still have numerous uh, exchanges here, and uh, and I can tell you, building a team here in Hong Kong uh, for consensus, uh, the the job market for for blockchain talents and digital asset talents is is. Uh, is very tight. Everyone is uh, is building on this. So yes, regulations are changing. The regula regulations are changing in Europe, in Japan, in the US, as well as in Hong Kong. And we, I guess, we we are all resilient and uh, and passionate about uh, about building this um, this new infrastructure for for the societies. Great. So let's talk about then. Let's talk about the blockchain and crypto uh, specifically in Hong Kong, right? What trends are you seeing? Um, what, what what's being built? What do, what are you seeing um, specifically as far as industry building? As far as you know, um, what's taken off there? So Hong Kong and, and blockchain is a, is a long story. If you if you look back at the first time the government of Hong Kong starting to mention blockchain and crypto, it was back in 2014. Uh, 2016, the HKMA, the, the, the central bank of Hong Kong. Uh, started to work on on CBDCs and, and blockchain itself, and there is like in many places in the world, um, a, a kind of a line being being drawn between cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain as a technology, and Hong Kong is definitely uh, as uh, as many places in Asia full on blockchain technology. You see that from the government perspective, starting to build uh, a, a platform uh, to connect different departments of the Hong Kong government and, and exchanging information much more effectively. Uh, you see uh, uh, the HKMA uh, working on uh, uh, on central bank digital currencies, 
very actively consensus is building uh, the M bridge, the multiple CBDC bridge, uh, building a platform where four central banks are are meeting each other and creating a, a cross-border uh, CBDC platform to, to enable uh, and support cross-border trade and, and business in general. Um, in the crypto side itself, I think uh, regulations is coming also in Hong Kong as it's coming in the US and Europe and, uh, and there is more rules coming up. But the chance of Hong Kong was that we, we started with a very limited number of rules. So it created from the from the get-go a very vivid and rich environment. Uh, so now regulations are coming. Uh, uh, we see some, some companies starting to kind of revamp the, the, the product offering with the Hong Kong customers. Um, but it's uh, it's doing very well. Clearly, the NFT uh, is, uh, is doing well here in Hong Kong. And all the institutional uh, upgrade uh, of, of infrastructure is happening from central banks to commercial banks and investment bank. Uh, we see uh, we see very large players here uh, building large teams, uh, up to 100 people full time on digital assets uh, and thinking how they can work on, on bond issuance, uh, how they can start new uh, new new business line around carbon credits. Uh, the governance here is also a big topic, which will be enabled by uh, by blockchain. So there is mitigate signals coming, uh, but I can tell you, uh, being on the ground here, that overall it's uh, extremely uh, uh, energized and and super active ecosystem on on blockchain. Great. So I want to you mentioned CB, CBDC, right, which is the China currency. Immediate thoughts are, you know, China banned Bitcoin again. Um, and they want to roll out their, their their centralized currency. But you have, you know, mentioned you cross-border. You know, you have relationships over there with China, with Taiwan, with Hong Kong, with all the countries. How do you see that CBDC actually playing out if it's not from an isolationist perspective? That's a, that's a very important question. De facto, today, you've got two different RMBs. RMB being the, the, the currency of China. So technically, as a banker, you will call CNH and CNY. Uh, so CNY is a, is a RMB which is living domestically uh, inside China. And there is also a, what we call an offshore RMB. So you have de facto two RMBs. And this is a, it's, it's a fact for, for many years now. So we've seen China uh, getting clearly a, a, a head start on, on every single country in the world on CBDCs, looking at how they can essentially empower their economy, making sure there is a, a fair play within uh, the payment industries. Uh, you might be aware that Alipay and WeChat clearly dominate the payment industry today, and, and possibly it was one of the numerous reasons why uh, the CBDC came in also to kind of come back to a, a more uh, plain level field uh, for, for everyone in the payment industry. But that's happening in China. So China has a very interesting approach to CBDCs. Uh, they started with a retail use case. They started with CBDCs for uh, you and me and, and, and every single users. Whereas we in the West have been starting mostly around wholesale CBDC. So the CBDC between the central banks and the commercial banks. Um, so it's yet to be seen how the RMB, uh, the international CBDC of the RMB, uh, will be will be designed and how it will work. I think it's still uh, in the play, uh, and probably there is a there is a, a time a time gap uh, which will be filled by other other currencies, leading currencies globally, 
uh, and seeing how they will eventually go for for the internalization of the of the currency as CBDCs. So it's yet to be seen. But what is for sure is that as per today, 2021, uh, China uh, digital RMB, which is called ECNY, is uh, is clearly very very close to be uh, fully launched. And my prediction for 2022 is that the volume of CBDC transaction in China will surpass the volume of stablecoin in US dollar in the whole crypto industry. So it's already a big business, uh, about 89 billion US dollar are already uh, tokenized on, on the blockchain today. But my prediction is that the, the volume of transaction on CBDC will be, will be catching up in, uh, in no time as soon as China deploy uh, fully uh, their, their CBDC uh, in production uh, in their domestic market. That's interesting. I, I never, I never determined that there. I never, you know, considered there was a distinction between, you know, internal and external. So, thank you for that distinction. Um, so you mentioned something else too, and uh, this is a area where I think is going to be growing. You mentioned carbon credits. Um, how, what what role is consensus and uh, blockchain crypto in Hong Kong taking um, in the global carbon credits? Um, our discussion. So carbon credits are part of a, a very strong theme, uh, which has been gaining momentum uh, uh, tremendously over the over the past years of ESG, right? And what is very interesting is that some some of the uh, the first movers and visionary uh, financial players have clearly set the rules that a new business line should not be developed and built on legacy systems because they, they've been spending enough time on their legacy systems as a bank and they know their limitations. So as soon as there was a new business line coming up, such as carbon credit, uh, some visionaries decided that it, it should not sit on the same uh, same software infrastructure. And that's where blockchain really really came as a uh, as a strong, uh, a strong support for, for, for this kind of uh, of new business, and the interesting thing within the, the the carbon credit business, it's it's a global business. Part of the world are negative, other part of the world are very positive. So from the get go, it starts as a as a ESG, as a, a strategic, and also as a global market. Um, at consensus, what I can disclose as as public information, we are already working with four uh, commercial banks between Canada, Brazil, uh, Australia. Uh, for building a, a wholesale CBDC, sorry, a wholesale carbon credit uh, platform, where the banks can start to enable and help essentially the SMEs and, and, and countries which are giving rules to the to the companies uh, in their domestic market to start to neutralize their carbon footprint. And uh, should you be uh, uh, consuming too much carbon, uh, you should be essentially compensating with uh, with carbon credit. Uh, so we start with uh, with uh, early uh, early banks, but we we clearly have a very strong signal and commitment here in Asia and probably in, in other parts of the world. I'm mostly focusing on Asia um, on on building this carbon credit uh, infrastructure globally. What is very interesting is from the get go, a lot of players are thinking about global standards. So my my thought is that the the standards in, in carbon credit definitions and, and, and trading and, and redemptions and, and retirement of these carbon credits, uh, the standardization and the, and the confluence and convergence of these uh, of these standards will be will be really accelerated. That will be great for, for, for the whole market. And at consensus, we we provide this enterprise infrastructure. Uh, we provide connectivity uh, when the time will come with uh, with CBDCs and central banks. 
So obviously, carbon credits are usually supported heavily by by governments. So uh, the knowledge we acquired, uh, spending time with uh, with central banks uh, uh, building their CBDC infrastructure, uh, is helping us to to kind of building some bridges or, or, or uh, building some first connections between the new infrastructure for the new markets, uh, such as such as carbon credit. Awesome. So it seems to me like there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity there in Hong Kong um, for the developers who haven't like gotten off the ground here or anywhere else like why should they come to hong kong and and, and join you in, in the build out of this amazing ecosystem and infrastructure if you are a young developer just come in asia come in hong kong because you will feel the energy uh you want to you want to just to be exposed i think if uh, if you have the chance to travel the world and whoever has spent a few days in hong kong will will always uh, always remember them it's one of those cities right uh, so, as a as a young developer, I can only invite you to uh, to be in touch with with consensus, be in touch with uh, the multiple companies uh, building uh, building the future infrastructures uh, here in Asia, and just come and and come and learn. Uh, you will have, always have the chance to to come back home if you want, uh, but don't miss the opportunity to discover the world, to work with other colleagues, uh, and to get exposed to new things. So, it starts very very easily. Um, just uh, craft your uh, your resume for for new opportunities. Uh, don't let uh, any chance of the table. Just apply for jobs, and and maybe it's not going to work uh, every time. But until it works, uh, just keep uh, keep going for it. But definitely, there is fantastic careers to be built in uh, in blockchain and digital assets. Uh, you might start with a with a, uh, your career in a startup, and and eventually joining. Uh, a larger bank or a government organization there is it's just a topic which is being pulled by by multiple organizations so just uh, stay hungry stay curious and uh, and just go for it it's uh, uh, being exposed to asia is uh, is always a positive thing great so um i want to thank you i have one, I have, one I have one last question um i want to thank you for your time today this has been this has been a great conversation for me i've learned a lot um, and I'm excited about, you know, opportunities over there. So, um, my last question is this, how can people find out more information about you, about what you do? How can they contact you? How can they do that? Sure. Thank you for having me today, uh, Jamil. Um, if you want to know more about the book, go on blockkong.com, blockkong.com, and you will find me on, on social media at uh, Charles Dossi, uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter, mostly. Uh, so maybe we can add a few a few links in the comment notes. But I really appreciated your invitation and the conversation, and uh, uh, I'll keep reading and listening to the podcast. Uh, so thanks thanks again for having me. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore Tech News on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, TikTok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.